Welcome to the Sidious Mac Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. The Sidious Mac Podcast is presented by Final Surge. No matter if you're an athlete or a coach, Final Surge helps plan and attain both short and long-term training success. Their free online training log is compatible with Garmin, Strava, Polar, Stride, Koros, and a slew of other apps and devices. If you're a coach, Final Surge makes planning and analyzing workouts simple and helps streamline communication with you and your athletes. Some of the top coaches in the world who have been guests on this podcast use it on a daily basis. If you're an athlete out there who's hammering miles and tempo runs solo with no guidance or direction, well, Final Surge is also here to offer up some world-class training programs. Get yourself a training plan for that spring 5K, that half marathon or full marathon that's on your calendar right now. They've got plans from Ben Rosario and NAZ Elite. Drew Hunter and Christine Thorne and the Tin Man Squad have their hammer and axe plans. You can always hit the classics with Greg McMillan or Boston Marathon champion Ambie Burfoot. And if you are a fan of the sport and are curious how the pros are training, Helen Taylor, Stephanie Bruce, and the rest of the NAZ Elite Squad share all of their training logs on Final Surge. Give it all a look at FinalSurge.com. Sidious Mag listeners can get 10% off their purchases by using code Sidious at checkout. So check it out today. Our other presenting sponsor for the month is Brooks Running. They just released their Brooks Hyperion Elite 3. People who follow me on Instagram know that I've been a big fan of their Hyperion line since 2019. This is the latest edition in their super shoe category. It's got everything to love from the second version of it, and now a quick knit upper that allows for feet of all sizes to fit comfortably. It's breathable, and as a result, it also yields better support while you're out for a run. They're super light to have you ready to fly on race day. It's a shoe that Des Linden wore when she broke the 50K world record. I've been rocking it as I make my return to running. The shoe is on sale now, so head on over to your local running shop or visit brooksrunning.com for more information on the Brooks Hyperion Elite 3. And in addition to sponsoring the podcast, we're also going to be doing some live events with Brooks during Boston Marathon weekend. Join us at the Brooks Hyperion House at 154 Newbury Street. There's plenty of fun events happening all throughout the weekend, including a live taping of Dana Giordano's More Than Running podcast on Sunday. There's panels and shakeout runs. On Monday, we will be doing an alternate stream on our YouTube channel where me, Kyle Merber, Dana Giordano, and some other surprise guests will be providing our commentary on the race that's happening in front of you. So mute your TVs and watch along with us or join us live in person at the Hyperion House. You can RSVP and check out all the events happening throughout the weekend through the Eventbrite link in the description. My guest for this episode is Brooks Pro Marathoner C.J. Albertson. He's been a pretty highly requested guest on this show because people can see some of the, the untraditional training that he throws down on Strava. But if you ask him, he doesn't think it's wild. So I point blank asked him what he'd consider crazy. And in this episode, we discuss his rise on the U.S. marathoning scene, especially because he popped off to a lot of people when he led last year's Boston Marathon for 21 miles and finished 10th overall. He just ran 212 at the Modesto Marathon with three weeks to go until the big race. But the catch is that he was actually led off course by the lead bike for a little bit, and his watch split for 26.2 was actually 210. So he's fit. He's ready to throw down on Marathon Monday. Let's go inside his head. Without further ado, here is CJ Albertson. All right, now we welcome CJ Albertson onto the podcast. Fresh off of a marathon before the marathon. I guess you lit up Strava the other week and, and the message boards as well, because uh, you went out to Modesto, ran the Modesto marathon at the last minute, uh, jumped in and clocked a 210, I guess was the split for, for the 26.2, I guess, according to your watch, but uh, veered off course a little bit, I guess, towards the beginning, still ended up winning the race, but uh, ended up being what, 212 with 22 days leading up to Boston. So I'll start off with why? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, I normally do, um, you know, pretty hard long runs as most people that follow me know. Uh, so yeah, 22 days out was, you know, I wanted it to be one of my harder, harder long runs and um, a little bit longer effort. I wanted to get, you know, a marathon or longer in. Um, and uh, yeah, my friend had texted me that he was he was going to be going and had an extra bed. Um, and then I kind of thought about it and I was like, yeah, it would probably be easier to to make sure I get, you know, a long distance in by just actually going to the marathon. Um, yeah. And then I so I wanted to get a hard effort in. Um, the week before I had averaged around like 502 pace on like some rolling hills. So 
the Modesto marathon super flat. So I knew I'd probably end up running around, you know, five minute pace, just kind of, you know, at the same effort. Um, yeah. And I went out and I felt really good. Like I, I my first few miles, like my first mile, I thought, okay, I mean, you know, I'm going to come through like right around five minutes. That's what it felt like. And then it was 450. And then I realized I got led off course. And so I think like that, like some adrenaline got in there because the second mile was like 445, but it felt really easy. And uh, so I was just like, okay, I'll just keep running. And then, um, yeah. And then I got, I got really dialed in to like around like 455 and I came through at least on my watch. Cause I got, you know, obviously I got off course, but I was around 64, 20 through halfway. Um, and that felt really comfortable. So somewhere around like 16, 17, you know, I mean, you start to fatigue a little bit and I didn't want to push it. So I just, I never like pushed to keep a pace. I just kind of let my body just run kind of the same effort the whole way. So I slowed down a little bit the second half, um, but you know, felt pretty controlled the whole way. Um, and when I finished, I mean, I felt, felt pretty good and, um, you know, have been able to come back this week. just like normal, actually maybe better than normal. Wednesday was probably the best workout I've had maybe in any buildup, just as far as like the overall feel of the workout went. Um, and then even today I, I just ran fairly good. And, um, so yeah, I mean, everything's going pretty well. <laughs> but then it, as soon as you cross the finish line afterwards, it, you got DQ'd for a little bit. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah. Cause we, I, I'd gone long, like technically I didn't follow the course. I was following the lead bike and we went out basically an, an extra block and then, um, like, you know, turn left and then turn back. So, um, yeah, but I, I actually don't think I was DQ'd for going off course. I, I still don't really know there's some confusion. I think what actually happened was they didn't know, at least this is kind of what was somewhat explained to me, they didn't actually know who I was and they thought I would. I must have cut the course because I was coming through a lot faster than they thought someone could run. Um, so I think that's actually what happened because no one really, I actually told the lead bike guy that, hey, I think you took me off course and he didn't even know. Uh, he was just like, oh, shoot, I'm sorry. Um, and then, so I don't actually know why I was DQ'd, but I think it was just because they were skeptical of my time. Um, and then and then people, other people kind of like, no, he, he ran it. We saw him the whole time. So, um, yeah, and something happened with the timing match. I think they shut up. Like, I, I don't know what happened, but sometimes like they're set for certain times. And so they weren't kicked on when I went through them because, I mean, there was video, like people tagged me in videos, like literally running across all the timing mats. So I don't know what happened, but so they, they you... fixed it and put me back in, but I, I mean, it doesn't matter, but yeah, it was a, it was an interesting course of events. <laughs> so how do you feel about it? I guess, like, had you, if not gone off course, it's, there's a very high likelihood you would have got under your 211.18 PR. Yeah, no, I think, uh, it was just very fitting that it happened that way. Uh, you know, that I, because now, because it, it, you know, because it wasn't like an intended race for me. So it's like, you know, you, you don't necessarily want your PR to come in a race like that, even though, you know, cause it's like, I know I can do that. I know I should be breaking 210. So it's like, um, you know, it, it needs to happen in a, when it matters. <laughs> So this is the first time that I've had you on the podcast and can you kind of give a little bit of context to the listeners a little bit about your training setup, because you're the one who's coming up with, you know, all of these plans for, for your training. Yeah, basically my training, I mean, it, definitely the foundation is, is long runs. Uh, that's been basically what I've been good at. Um, even thinking back into high school, my, my senior year, I started running like 15 mile long runs and, you know, I'd go sub six minute pace. Um, which was probably good for, you know, 17, 18 year old. Uh, and then in, in, in high school, I mean, in college, I, I would do a lot of just hard long runs kind of by myself. Um, so then when I, when I transitioned into, well, I transitioned into just normal lifehood. I wasn't running professionally or anything. I was just, I, I was just kind of coaching and I'm not really doing much running, but pretty much the only thing I would do is run some intervals during the week and then run a hard long run on the weekends and I, I got I got down to like running I ran like a one weekend I ran like a 66 half marathon just like by myself and I was only running like 40 miles a week so I was like 
for some reason I'm, I'm good, like right around the five minute range. Um, and yeah, eventually that turned into, I, I decided to do a marathon and a lot of my training was just built on long runs. It was hard to do a lot of the intense workouts, like the 5k type pace, just cause I was running by myself and, um, you know, 5k pace type work hurts, <laughs> 3k pace really hurts. So doing that by yourself is a little bit tougher to do. So, um, I just naturally veer towards the workouts that were easy for me that I could do alone. Um, and then, you know, now that I've, I've gotten into, you know, competitively racing again, I'm, um, you know, you got to get some of that work in, but, uh, but I still lean on the long runs for sure. And, and I, since I've been doing it, so I guess harder, longer type runs and more, most people do for a while now, it, it it's kind of just the norm for me. So, you know, if you're, you're like a, you know, a college athlete and your norms like 16 miles, like you don't really think twice about running 16 miles at, by the time you get into your junior year, you're just like, yeah, I do it. You know, then by Tuesday, you do it on Sunday, by Tuesday, you're ready for a workout. And now that's kind of how it is for me. Um, you know, 25 miles or whatever is just like, yeah, I do that. Maybe I push my workout till Wednesday, give me an extra day, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, my legs are fine. So our good friend, Peter Bromka texted me right before this conversation. And he said, I want CJ to break down his training for us. Like if the things he does, which are insane, are the things that he's thought about doing in training, that, what are some of the things that you've decided against? Like you train yourself, but what are some of the things that you've thought are even too wild to try and attempt? Literally nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, my, my thing is, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see how I could like possibly push myself too hard. I mean, cause I'm by myself, you know, like if, if I'm in a, if I'm in a race setting, even in a workout setting, like when I run with other people, like, you know, I, I'm the guy that's going to push the pace, um, you know, in a workout, <clears throat> if people are like concerned about hitting the prescribed times, um, rather than just running with the person next to them, like they're, they're going to hate running with me. Cause I, I can't like turn off that competitiveness. It just, I just never have. And when I try to, like in college, you know, you're supposed to just run your paces and with the team. I just, I, I just wasn't good. Cause it just, this is not, I don't like, this is not fun. Um, and uh, so it, it, in a way it helps me running alone because it, it kind of does control me, even though it doesn't look like that from an outside perspective, cause people think I just smashed everything and, you know, run so hard, but um, it's really, it's really not that hard, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't do, I haven't tried to set the 50 mile record uh, in practice in a marathon <laughs> training block, which, you know, I've thought about, but, but I don't do that. So there's one thing. Um, if it was a less serious marathon, like not Boston, um, then I might. <laughs> I mean, I, well, I would probably hop in a, a 50 mile race, I guess. But actually, no, I would probably do it in practice first and then do a race later. <laughs> A quick break now to tell you about our new sponsor, Therabody. This is a partnership I've been waiting for for a very long time. Calling all you athletes and weekend warriors out there, are you looking to cut down on hours of rest and recovery as you push for that next level? Recharge your legs like the pros with Therabody's revolutionary new Recovery Air Jet Boots. Recovery Air Jet Boots are the world's most advanced pneumatic compression system ever created. For years, runners, bikers, and everyone who spends hours on their feet have had to suffer through leg pains and aches after a long, hard day. Clinically proven treatments like compression boots that pro athletes use have always been out of reach. Recovery Air is a groundbreaking pressure massage for everybody, anywhere. With Therabody's exclusive fast flush technology, Recovery Air flushes out metabolic waste more fully and brings back fresh blood to your legs at three times the speed of competitors. Faster cycles mean faster recovery, so you don't have to wait for the legs to be feeling great. Not just good, great. Therabody's Recovery Air Jet Boots are the first of its kind. They're truly wireless for anywhere on the go recovery, boosting circulation and radically reducing muscle soreness. And thanks to Recovery Air's super intuitive, easy to use one touch controls, recovering faster is a breeze. I took about a three month break from running. So now that I'm getting back into the routine, I wanna make sure that I'm able to tackle that next day's run feeling strong and recovered. So I simply just kick back at the end of my day, turn on some reality TV and just sit there in my jet boots so I'm not feeling that last run or workout the next time I get out the door. 
If that's not enough to convince you, maybe it's the fact that more than 250 professional sports teams exclusively use TheraBody products and they're trusted by world-class athletes like NBA All-Star Paul George, superstar footballer Trent Alexander-Arnold, and champion golfer Colin Morikawa. So sit back, relax, and recover. Go to therabody.com slash Sidious to get your TheraBody recovery air today, starting at $690 or as low as $59 a month with the firm. Plus, recovery air's 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping is included, so there's no risk. Again, that's therabody.com slash Sidious. Check them out today so you can get your legs feeling great. Not just good, great. So last year, you obviously popped onto so many people's radars at Boston because that competitive itch that you have was on display for so many people to see you took it out hard and you ended up leading for 21 miles at one point you had a two minute lead and even to this day i guess like in the interviews you've done afterwards you said there, there's no regrets about how that race went you finished 10th in 211 44 just off of your pr so all in all like what went into sort of that race execution that, that was it just sort of like i'm gonna i'm gonna be the one to make this race yeah, I, I mean, I, I, my race plan wasn't to, to make the race. Um, my, my race plan was just to run the first four miles, you know, around 19 minutes. And I was kind of guessing just based on the grade, the gradient that I'd be around 19 minutes. Um, and and that I didn't really have much of a race plan other than I was like, this is a great course for me because I, I run better when I'm engaged in the race closer to the front. Uh, these guys on paper are a lot faster than me. So if it was like Berlin or something, I probably wouldn't be anywhere near the front the first four miles just because I'm not going to run 440 pace out the gate on a flat course. But um, when it was downhill, I'm like, okay, I can, I can maybe, I can, I can run an effort that's within myself that, and they'll probably hold back a little bit. So I'll be towards the front. And that was really all I was thinking. And then from there, you know, I'd figure it out if they start dropping low 440s on the flat miles, I'd probably have to back off and try to find someone else to run with. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't make super set race plans because you never know how a marathon's going to go. You don't know what guys are going to do. You don't know what the conditions are going to end up being like, especially in Boston. Um, so you just kind of got to get in there and race and, and figure it out as you go. Um, yeah. So I went out just kind of doing what I plan to do, I guess. And, um, you know, everyone else, I don't know what they were planning on, but they, it seemed like no one knew what they wanted to do for 15 miles. And so they just kind of jogged around. And so I just kind of ended up in the lead by default. Um, and there was no reason for me to run 66 30 through half because I, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to negative split by two minutes on that course. It's just not going to happen for me for the type of runner that I am. So yeah, I just, <laughs> I think I ran point. smart. No one else did, <laughs> except for the winner. He ran, he ran smart. <laughs> so you're saying even the like I know the winner, but then what about the eight other guys ahead of you? They probably. I mean, they. I. I didn't. Uh, all of them. All of, besides Colin, which he had a better PR than me, and he had beat me by like two minutes at the marathon project. Um. Everyone else had PRs almost five minutes faster than me or, or their half marathon was like 59 minutes. So yeah, I mean, they beat me by third, by, by whatever, but they were also on paper should have beat me by a mile. So <laughs> uh, the fact that I was, you know, so, I mean, I, yeah, no one beat me that on paper I was better than, but I definitely beat, I beat about 20 people that on paper were better than me. So that's a good day. So yeah. Mentally, how did you sort of stay engaged that entire time of just like you, I mean, is it just because you do a lot of your training solo that this is just like, oh, it just feels like I'm doing another training run, except there happens to be thousands of fans cheering me on. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what it felt like. It was, it was really, I actually started laughing a few times in the race. Cause I'm like, this is just so funny. I do all my runs alone somehow in most of the marathons I, I end up leading them and it or I'm alone at some point and I'm just like but like going into Boston like okay this will be the one race besides the Olympic trials that I'm not leading a lot and like you know I'm just kind of I'm back far from the from the lead pack and then I'm just like how, am, how is this happening again I'm like way out in front and I'm just running by myself and it was just it was just so funny because I, I really wasn't actually expecting it 
Um, and yeah, it did feel just like a training run, but then there was so many people out there that I could just kind of wave and talk to. And so, um, yeah, it, it was, it was easy to stay engaged because it's Boston and, you know, there's a lot of energy on the course. There's a lead, uh, there's a lead can you know, there's a lead vehicle that, you know, is a camera that there's people all over the world watching. So that's kind of fun just to, cause like, I mean, you know, like you're on TV and they're probably, you know, maybe jumping back to the backpack a little bit, but for the most part, you're just on there. So I'm just like <laughs> trying to be entertaining. Cause it's like, you got nothing else to watch but me. So <laughs> and like you, you, you don't really think about that, but you kind of do. Cause you know, you know that in the back of your mind. So um, yeah, it, I mean, it was definitely fun. And it's an experience that, I mean, really not that many people get very few people get. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you got to have fun with it. Did the thought ever cross your mind? Like I might win this damn thing. Yeah, after halfway it did. Before that, I mean, no, I was like, they're, they're you know, they're gonna catch me. It's just I got a race when they get to me. But after I got to halfway and they said like two ten or two thirteen or whatever it was, because they they were kind of at first they didn't update me, but then as it got to like ten k and after, then they like the lead got big enough. Like so they started telling me like you're you're up this much, and then I was like, gee, like if I'm up, you know, a couple minutes at halfway, like they can only run so fast the second half and if I can run fast enough like mathematically you know I can I can do it I still knew it was a very small chance but the possibility became real so that, that was that was exciting too I like how in one of the interviews you did afterwards you said that you also did think like bib number 29 which is what you were is like doesn't win the Boston Marathon and I went back I had to look at it see like but what was like Yuki and Des what were their bib numbers Des was eight and Yuki was 11 so I guess like in a way you were right. Like they get it, did assign you like a high bib number, but you never know really. And that's the beauty I think of Boston. Yeah. Well, the, the elite, um, the elite coordinator, uh, Mary Kate, she, she says, uh, she, I remember, I, and I, I, she said before the race, she's like, anyone can win Boston. And I mean, you know, like everyone kind of says that, but you know, they say it like in Boston, it's a little bit more true, but that did pop into my mind a couple times before the race. And even, and I always enter a race with the, with a, no matter what race I'm in with a, you know, at least the thought that I'm, I can, like I'm going to win or I can win. Um, and so even when she said that, I was like, yeah, like anyone can win. That can be me. Um, and then, you know, and then after around halfway, I was like, this literally could happen. Uh, it's pretty cool. So. So after that performance, uh, how did you sort of celebrate or kind of like switch gears in terms of like mentally, like what you wanted to do, do next? Cause this kind of opened a couple doors for you in, in, in terms of just like getting your name out there and putting a little bit more respect for, for, for future races. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think too much changed in terms of just how I view things. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, in my mind, I'm pretty confident in, like it was it was a yeah it was a good race for me and obviously a lot of recognition just because I was out in front um but I still don't think like even my like build up like my training for that race wasn't like I mean it was good and it was the best training I had had in a while but it wasn't like spectacular and I, I don't think I was in like super good shape I was probably in better shape for the Olympic trials than I was for Boston last year um I think now I'm in better shape I'm definitely in better shape now than I was in October, um, which, you know, I guess you're, you're not supposed to say because, you know, you could have a bad race, but I like to put as much pressure on myself uh, <laughs> publicly before a, a race. Like, yeah, it even goes back like in high school running the four by four, like I wanted to run anchor. Like you just, I want, I want some pressure. Um, and so that's another thing, like I'm fine posting stuff on Strava that I know people will maybe disagree with because it's like, well, now, now I have to run good because I'll look stupid if I don't so <laughs> but that's how like you have to have that expectation I remember like in high school and like a dual me I'd be like nervous because it's like my only option is to win like I like if I don't win it's like I'm gonna look ridiculous because like I should beat all these people so you have this almost like fear it's not a fear of losing but it's a it's like 
it's just something that like you you're just forced to win you know it's like that guy you always beat like even if you're having a terrible race and he passes you you're gonna find a way to beat him just because it's like that's just that's just like the law of nature you you beat this guy every time you race and so I think the more you can create that mentality of like I'm supposed to be here and win or do whatever um or like in the Olympic trials be top three then like it's just like you you just have to do it so you find a way to do it and so I think creating some of that expectation um is is good for me I mean and obviously it can go too far but yeah let me know if this is adding too much pressure when I ask you, do you think you can win this, this time around? I mean, it's, it's going to be, I mean, it's a really good field. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I always, there's always like, there's always scenarios in my mind where I win. So when I'm doing training runs and I'm doing long runs, when I'm driving, like there's, there's scenarios I'm thinking about and I win the race. Um, I mean, realistically, you know, if I was, um, you know, uh, betting my, my baby's, um, you know, college, well, it's not <laughs> yeah, that's not technically a college fund, but his, his money that we've put into his account, you know, I probably wouldn't bet it all on myself, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the thoughts there. I mean, a lot, lots of things have to go right, um, for me to win, but it's, it's not, I mean. It's not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a little crazy, but like if I won, it would be crazy. Like theoretically, I mean, realistically, it would be like, yeah, I mean, we knew he was fit, but like, I mean, there's what, 12 sub 206 guys, a handful of sub 203 guys. I mean, 211 is good, 210 even, I guess, whatever. It's decent, but it's still a few miles behind. So last time out, you had a 10 to 11 week buildup where you ran about like a hundred miles a week. How different has this buildup been? Because if that worked for like a top 10 finish, like w- why would you try and change things up too much? Um, yeah, well, I partly looked for a top 10 finish just because of how the race went um, and people just, I, I don't know. I don't know if everyone had the best race strategy last year, but um, yeah, I mean, you always want to come into a race more fit and as fit as you can. Um, and I've done a little bit more mileage in the past. And so I've, I've been more around 115 this, uh, this block. Um, and, and really even a little bit, well, not more than that, but like it's, I've had like a day off or like a day where I only run four or five miles. So the, so most of the days I'm, I'm getting, pretty heavy with the the mileage but yeah I mean it's it, it not too much has been different it's just I've done a little bit a little bit more speed workouts um my long runs have obviously been pretty good um and I mean, yeah overall I just feel I don't know I just feel better um so I don't know <laughs> so last year's race uh what shoes did you rock did you rock the Hyperion Elite twos or threes I was in the twos. So this time around, you're upgrading to the threes, right? Yeah. How 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 have those shoes felt? Is that what you just ran this past weekend? In? Yeah, yeah, they're good. the The uppers a little bit different. Um, my uppers are are even more different because I have I have a really abnormal feet, um, and so yeah, so my the tongues of my uppers are going to be gone, and um, to give my feet a little bit more breathing room. <laughs> Is that just a common thing? Like you've had that for, for years on all your yeah. shoes? Yeah. Um, well, not, I don't end up doing them on all my shoes, but a lot, like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually, if, if you go back, my world record for the indoor marathon, those shoes, I didn't have any tongues in them. <laughs> Does that make the shoes lighter a little bit more? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the, the tongues are, uh, they're, they're pretty light, but the, but yeah, technically it, it makes them lighter, but it's just more breathable. My foot is just like, well, one, it's really wide. So I also have to cut little slits in, on the side of the, of the upper. So my pinky toe, my pinky toe will actually expand out the width of the shoe. I have like a 2E, but it's almost a little wider than a 2E. And like racing shoes are typically a little bit more narrow. Um, 
I don't think you can find a 2E racing shoe in any brand anywhere. But my, my foot is really wide and my right foot really expands out when I run. And it's just, so I had to make it. And then my foot's also like really thick here. Like my, like the top of my foot is like real high. So then it just, um, it rubs up against the top. So I just need, I just remove everything. <laughs> but <laughs> it feels me great. Like a I, I, I've, I've yeah. dialed in the shoe because it felt, I've Modesto, yeah, I've Modesto. And I've been, you know, I've been, I, I do all my long runs in the, um, you know, in the Hyperion Elite threes. And, you know, I felt really good in them. Um, even some faster stuff. I just, I just finished, I just ran like 18.32 for four miles, just like an hour ago. <laughs> and it felt good. So, yeah. Shoes are working. <laughs> you must be a fascinating case for like the Brooks research and development team. Like, what, what is that like when you have to give them feedback on shoes? It's like, well, listen, take my feedback, but it kind of only applies to me. <laughs> That's literally exactly what I say. I'm like, I'm like, it's hard. I'm like, this is what I feel. I know no one else is going to feel this. And, but I mean, they, they, they understand that. So they're, I think they're working on like just kind of. Cause you can make customizations to shoes within the rules, like for specific people based on like actual foot needs. So I think they're working on that a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, some of my recommendations, a lot of my recommendations won't fit for the, for the normal population. I even just picture like when they have you guys, like the elite athletes check in the shoes, like you hand them over, they're like, ah, uh, the tongues are missing. <laughs> yeah. Well, last year, I, I think I, last year I ran with the tongues, but this year I'm not going to, cause it, it doesn't always cut, like it'll cut the top of my foot and it doesn't always, but you know, you don't want, you don't want the, the chance of it happening. So just be safe. And so, I actually, I don't know what the point of the like the tongues, of, like, what do they do? I don't, I don't understand. I never understood the point of them. It's just extra weight. <laughs> I mean, I guess like the lace, but the laces don't hurt your feet. I'll, I'll get it. Friends, stop waiting and start looking into your summer plans to join us in Eugene for what we've dubbed as the summer of Hayward. It's no secret that we love track and field at Sidious Mag. And if you do too, come and celebrate that love with three of the biggest events happening in the sport on U.S. soil this summer. We're going to be doing daily runs, live shows, and some other fun plans from the Sidious Mag House at the U.S. Championships and the World Championships. But even before that, we're going to be at the Pre-Classic where some world records will be broken, some spots on Team USA will be secured for the World Championships, and if you've been listening to our Track Snacks segment every single Friday, we've been highlighting the stories of some of the athletes that will be at those major events. So to make it easy for you, we've made a landing page where you can get all of your dates and tickets sorted out visit sidiousmag.com slash summer of hayward to learn more join us it's going to be the biggest party that track and field has ever seen in america i'm stoked the countdown is on less than 100 days to go until the world championships see you at hayward so we'll, let's touch on some of these other crazy things that, that you've mentioned you still hold the indoor marathon world record right 217.59 yeah, I don't know if they've ran it since then. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's happening in a in a couple of weeks here at the Armory. I mean, is that something? Yeah. I mean, how one, how hard was it, and two, would you attempt it again? Uh, it, I mean, it wasn't super hard. It was actually a little warm. That was the only hard part. It was an uncharacteristically warm day in New York, so like, it was around seventy degrees inside, Oof. which like isn't ideal. Maybe sixty eight, but somewhere around there. But so it wasn't ideal for a marathon. But yeah, it wasn't, I liked the atmosphere of running inside. Um, it was kind of fun. I, I don't, it's hard to do it again because I, now it's like, if I'm going to do a spring, mar I mean, if I'm going to do a spring race, it's probably going to be a big marathon. Um, and it's always around the time of Boston or, you know, or if I were to do another spring marathon. Um, and I only have so much time to travel around in the spring because we're right in the middle of, of track season and I'm coaching. So I don't really, there's not like a whole lot I can gain of the indoor marathon unless I like maybe went and did it at like UW or something like just randomly, like a, that's the only indoor track I can think of on the West coast. Like, but the, the one at the army is going to be difficult to do just because of the timing of it. And the, I mean, it, it's really, there's no, I don't really get much out of doing it. So, but it would be kind of fun to break Q10 indoors. Just that would be pretty before. crazy. Yeah. Um, then 
in 2020, you ran that 50K. It was the world best, 242.30. And since then, it was eclipsed by an Ethiopian who ran 242.07 uh, last year. So with that one, are you thinking of trying to take it back at some point? Yeah, they just broke it again, I believe. Like Really? Maybe okay. a few weeks ago. I, I think it, I don't know if this was a dream or I saw it, but someone ran 240-something, which... Um, was fine for me because if I do it again, I want to run under 240. So I, I think if it wasn't a dream, then they ran like 240, like 13 or 240, 20, something somewhere around there. Um, and so, yeah, I would like to go back and do that. Ultimately, I want to run it sub five minute pace. I think okay. that's that's realistic on a on a you know a flat good course. I think that I can run sub five minute pace for the 50k. Again, it doesn't really do anything, but it's fun for me. <laughs> um, as someone who has never broken five minutes for the mile, to hear it <laughs> from you to just be like, I want to string this along for 50K. So can you, can you, I guess, take me to the first time you ever broke five minutes for the mile? Do you remember that? Well, unofficially, it was in fifth grade but I, I it wasn't there's no fifth way it grade? Was wow I don't <laughs> I can't get it done as a 27 28 year old <laughs> it was cross, it was a cross country mile or district championships and they said I ran like 453 but I think it was more like a 1500 because my 1500 that year in track was, was like only it was like 454 or 456 so I don't think that was a true mile so it would have had to been in seventh in seventh grade I ran 444 for the 1600 so, so that, yeah, was, that definitely would have got you under. Yeah. Yeah. So, so seventh grade was probably officially because I don't sixth grade. I don't really know, but I ran 447 in the 1500. So that would have been like 505 or something. So would have been seventh grade. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Um, so kind of going back to just like Boston and, and leading up to it, like you, you've talked about how with some of these, East African runners who are also in the race. Like if they threw down something crazy, what do you consider something to that point where like, I'm not going to go with that move because that's too much for me. Like, because I guess Boston, there's, de there was definitely some East Africans and a very heavy American sort of uh, contingent. But uh, if you think bigger picture, like a Berlin where someone like Kipchoge is like up in the front, like you're like, that's too crazy, I think, for you to write, like, try and go with him for the first 5K or anything like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So we are, you're asking, like, the first 5K of Boston? I'm wondering just, like, how do you assess, like, and, and know what your limits are when it comes to moves being made within a race? Yeah, I mean, I think off the gun, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, and Boston particularly because it's such a unique start. Um, I don't think anyone will ever take Boston out the first mile faster than I would want to. Like, I don't think there's going to be a group that goes like 420. Um, I mean, they maybe, I don't know. The one, like the tail year, year with Ryan Hall, I think they were sub 430 the first mile. Um, but yeah, I think, I think like, like this year, I don't want to run really too much faster than like, like 18, 40, 1845 ish is probably like as fast as I want to go the first four miles. Maybe, I mean, I guess I could go a touch faster, but I, I would want to like keep it close to like 19 minutes. Um, and then after that, like, I don't know, 450 pace doesn't seem unreasonable at the start or like at when they're like on on some of the net uphill miles 450 was quite too quick for me but um but when it's like some there's a lot of miles that are like negative 10 net feet and I think like if I'm feeling good and, and and just rolling with the pack and we're running 450 that seems reasonable now running like 442 to 445 that's that's probably going to be out of my reach on a flat range and so I would I would likely back off um but I don't, I don't, I can't say that for sure. But yeah, I mean, I typically don't, I typically run. I mean, I haven't gone out super hard actually in, in normal marathons. Um, I really need long races. So 
yeah, I've never been in that position where people are going out at 202 pace. Do you think last, do you think last year's race sort of kind of, I don't know, not, not to say like what you did before the trials caught a lot of headlines and then you, you, you backed it up at the trials and, you know, some people were like, well, that was just a tough course. And, you know, he, he did it on the day. Then you did it again, sort of in the lead up to Boston, where when you look at sort of the other, you know, top American marathoners, they do things very differently than you where maybe at the time they wouldn't have taken you sort of as seriously leading up to these races. Do you think that that's kind of over now that you've proven it twice and that like your untraditional training methods, do you sort of back up like, Hey, it, it does work. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't even, it's odd to me because I don't even think my methods are really that untraditional. Like, like, I, I don't, I probably Listen, running, do, running two ten three weeks before your goal race. It seems a little untraditional. <laughs> yeah. But okay. Let's say, let's say you're a, let's say a 1500 meter guy, but let's say he, he's going for like 334, 335. And he runs a 337 in a, a time trial, 22 days out. No one's going to think twice about that one because 337 is good for, a lot of people, but on a world stage, 337 is, you know, it's like 210 is like 400 guys that can do it. I don't, I don't know if that number is accurate, but there's probably more guys that can run 210 than that can run 337 or it's pretty close. So like if a dude run 337, he's building up a lot of lactate. It's hard on your legs. I'm building up no lactate in, a, in a, that 210. I mean, there was nothing like, you know, it's all aerobic. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm running for 26 miles, but I've been running since I was 10. So why is 20, like people are scared of the marathon distance for some reason. Cause they think it like you magically cross this 22 mile long run threshold. And all of a sudden your legs just blow up. Like they just spontaneously combust or something. It's like, I don't understand. I ran eight and a half miles, 10 hours later. And I felt more or less perfectly fine. Um, and again, my, my Wednesday workout was literally probably the best speed workout I've ever done. I mean, I closed in 411. It was downhill, but I felt, I mean, I don't have a lot of speed. So closing that fast is decent for me. Um, so it, it's just weird. Just Casual 411. Have, okay. <laughs> and it was downhill. I mean, it was like 85 feet downhill. So I ate it a little bit, but, but I mean, the first mile of Boston is far more downhill than that. So yeah, it's not downhill, but. Yeah. So it's just like people are, they're just, they look at the marathon as like some scary number that if you run that far, like you're just going to be so tired, but it's like the 1500, you can run, you can do three races in a week and like no one bats an eye, but it's like, man, 1500 to me is way harder than a marathon because I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm flooded in lactate. Like I'm pushing my muscles to the extreme. And the marathon, especially if you don't kick at the end, like I'm gonna keep, like the last eight k, I was just cruising. So like I'm not taking my muscles to the extreme. I'm not like pushing them or wearing them down like when they're already tired. Um, so it's like I don't know. I mean, I think people are just kind of soft when it comes to long runs. I think it's like there's no. It, or just think of literally any other person in the world. You go out and you run, you know, pretty hard for two hours and 10 minutes. Like, yeah, that's hard. But like every single person that trains for the marathon does that. That's like not a sub 210 guy. Like if you're running two hours and 45 minutes or more, well, your 20 mile run is two hours or two hours and 15 minutes or two hours and 30 minutes. And you're running the same effort I was. And, yeah. and you run less miles you probably don't have as great recovery. So that effort's probably harder than what I did. Uh, all things equal. So people just have the people just, they're, Ill, they're illogical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, but, <laughs> but ultimately I'm correct. <laughs> um, In my mind. <laughs> when I remember in the lead up to the Olympic trials, Jim Walmsley was getting a lot of attention for the stuff that, that he was doing. And part of it too, was when I talked to him about it, it was like, he was like, Oh yeah, I know. I was looking into 
how the Japanese runners train and, and the Kenyan runners. And are, do you do some of that too, where it's like what you just kind of mentioned, it's sort of like, yeah, you brought up the number of people who run under 210. It's not a lot of Americans, but there's a lot of Japanese and East African runners who do it. So like, have you just, you know, dove into some of that training to kind of frame some things that you do? Yeah, and I think it probably stemmed from that. So in college, I, I was I became a steeple chaser because you know I wasn't good enough in the five k. So um, so I started steepling, and then you know Canova uh, had he coached the world record in the steeple chase. So I, I you know just kept, like had been sensed by just researching steeple chase training and and what the world record holder did. You know, I found a lot of Canova's training and, and even the steeple guy would do like two hour long runs, two hour and five minute long runs at like, you know, under 510 pace in the mud at like 8,000 feet of altitude. Like it was, you know, some crazy thing. And so I'm like, okay, like you wouldn't necessarily think that a 3K steepler would be doing these crazy long runs. Cause I'm, cause then I'm doing the math. I'm like, it's like, 11 marathon altitude like I mean he stopped a couple k short but like pretty pretty good so then I'm like okay what is that what is that for me you know when I translate to my time and percentages I'm like okay it's like you know 5 25 pace or whatever for like 18 miles so I would do I started doing stuff like that and, and like in college I got down to like 18 uh 18 miles around like 522 pace I think was one of my best runs but like it was just like what you know Kanoa had his guys doing even his non-marathon guys so um so I think just like starting to do types of runs like that I mean I wasn't going like I wasn't going 26 miles but like starting from there and doing 18 to 20 miles or is pretty hard when I was in college just kind of like built the foundation and then also I think just genetically I was prone to go long I, I uh after the cross-country season I just randomly went out for a 30 mile run and did it around six minute pace and no gels, no water, nothing. <laughs> just went out and ran 30 miles and felt, I, I hurt a little bit. Um, then the next year I did 32 miles and that, and then I had to bike to class right after that sucked. But yeah, so, I mean, it, it's a combination of, of reading. I know other people do it. I know the Japanese that probably run 50 K hard long runs, but they don't note it or, you know, or who knows what the guys in like the seventies and the eighties actually did. Cause we didn't have, they didn't have GPS watches. So, you know, those, those stories of the one guy that ran up the mountain every day and back and who knows how long they went, but it's just like, you know, you get used to whatever you're doing. So like you, people get hurt and overly fatigued from doing something that they haven't done before. But if you have a solid progression and you're doing things that you normally do and just, you know, getting faster or getting longer as you adapt to that, then there's really no reason that it's too much. Um, you know, like you can hurt yourself doing a casual stride yeah. if you don't do strides. Um, I actually did that before the marathon project. I hadn't done a lot of speed stuff and I started doing too many strides. I think to overcompensate, I don't know, my, my, it was a dumb mental choice, but I tweaked my something in my Achilles or something and I didn't run for like the three days leading up to it and I was still hurt a little like I was off but there was just a dumb thing on my part because I, I added something that I hadn't necessarily been doing and that's why you get hurt um typically so yeah um but yeah I'm aware that other people do kind of longer things you just don't necessarily hear about it mm-hmm so how does Peloton fit into all this stuff? You light up the, the, the top leaderboards constantly. So what, what, how do you fit that into sort of your running? Uh, it's just whenever it's convenient or when, um, it, usually it's earlier on in my training blocks when I'm like, I'm not quite fit yet. And I, I want to get some good work in, but it seems too mentally challenging to do outside particularly because I don't have anyone helping me. So on the, on the treadmill, I don't know, the Peloton can be kind of motivating and it's just easier to hold the pace on the treadmill because it's, you just set the pace and you run. So, uh, so yeah, I, I kind of just do it early on. I have like in the past six weeks or so, I haven't really been on the treadmill as much cause I'm like, you know, in the real thick of training. And so it, it has to be outside, but. You still um, have it set up with the heat lamps and all that stuff, right? Yeah, but I haven't used the heat lamps as much. Um, 
because I like I don't use the heat lamp every time I run on the treadmill. <laughs> it's gonna it kind of depends on like what I'm training for, you know, what the conditions will be like, or what I'm aiming for. Like if I'm kind of out of shape, sometimes I'll I'll do it. Like I'll start running at like altitude and with like heat lamps, like just to just to cut because like my legs can't handle as much because I'm like not in shape. But like I just you know you just gotta like make things hard just <laughs> just to kind of like jumpstart fitness. And then once I'm like actually running fast, then I go outside and just run regularly. Last year you did an interview with I run far where you kind of said that you're not too, too interested in like the trail side of things because of the technical nature in it, but like a road ultra would fit you pretty well. So what's on your mind? Yeah. Some of the road, like hundred Ks I may do like comrades. Um, We'll just kind of see where those, where those fit in, but. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think I can be really good in the in the between the 50k and the 100k on the road. There's just not there's not like tons of big like big races that are that fit that category that aren't on trails. Because I'm yeah, I'm just I'm not I'm not that good on the trails, and I don't like it. And you're typically not good at things you don't like. So um, yeah, we'll kind of see. But I mean, there will definitely be a point in time where I go after like the 50 mile record and the hundred K record. I don't know about the hundred mile, but <laughs> when I'm done with marathons, I'm sure I'll try the hundred mile, <laughs> maybe the 24 hour. I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. So you and I are, you, you and I are the same age. Um, and I'm kind of curious as to like, what is the timeline of like your goals? Like how long do you want to stick to the marathons and like still have, you know, some wheels left to, to give to some of the longer stuff? Or is it just, I'm going to do it all at the same time? Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't fully know. I think it'll just kind of happen when it happens. Um, or one day, like, usually what happens is I don't really know what I can do. And then one day, it just like, like, like one, like after Boston, it, I just like went out and ran 40 miles. I don't I was like five, 36 or something like that pace. So it'll be kind of the first time. I'll just, I'll just one day, it'll just kind of happen. And I'll probably just, I'll probably come really close or maybe even unofficially set the 50 mile record just on a whim. Like, like it won't count because it'll be in practice, but then I'll be like, okay, like I'm fit. I got to go do a race and go do it. hundred K is a little far. I probably want to just walk out and do that. But if I was in really good shape, I could see the 50 mile one, just, uh, just kind of just kind of happening because that's what actually happened with the 50k i pretty much broken in practice a few times and then i was like i gotta do it for real so um but yeah i don't know we'll just kind of see i still think like i mean when i was young i was a i was a miler and i had good speed and i ran like 50 seconds you know for a four by four split and so like i wasn't that slow so it's not like i'm just like a slow marathoner i haven't really ran that fast on the 5k or 10k but i feel like i i do have speed within me to run fast and so you know like running 206 or even the American record like it seems like it's like it, it like I don't know it's just weird dichotomy because I feel like I'm just like a normal person kind of like just like a normal person that trains just like anyone else but then also at the same time like the American record doesn't really seem that out of reach like it just because I've seen like what I've done in training and like where I I haven't even, even this training block, like I can do a lot better of things and, and, and how I've just seen how I could get there. And it's just so weird to think, like, I just feel just like any other person really, like there's just like, I guess there are thousands of me, but there's not thousands of Americans like me, but um, I just, yeah, I feel like there's so many, but then it's like, well, I guess there's not like, I'm, I'm literally one of the best in the nation right now it's just weird because it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't feel like that but but then I have but then it's so natural to think about these big goals and winning pretty much anything it just (laughs) yeah yeah. I'd love to see you at the Tokyo Marathon like for some reason I think that's a place that could be really special in terms of the flat nature you have a ton of people to race with and especially in the style that you like to race that that's a place where a, you know chasing a fast time could really go down i think yeah I, actually after during i think probably during the modesto race when i started running like you know in the 450 range i was like 
yeah, Tokyo would be fun <laughs> or something <laughs> just like a flat. Because I was like, this feels so easy. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I've been running a lot of hilly things, and like I know the marathon project didn't go well, and that was really flat. Um, but I, I also that was also partly my just yeah. But um, but yeah, I definitely I was like, wow. I, like it, it was the first time where like mid 450s, even low 450s, like felt pretty comfortable. Like I could do this for a marathon with like some packs. Um, you know, I maybe need a little bit more specific training for a lower pace, but um, but yeah, it made me want to go to. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> I like how your mind wanders to like all these different things during you know a run like that. In terms of just like visual visualization. Do you picture yourself like winning Boston or like making like, do you picture that race sometimes or? <laughs> what I picture the most is, well, yeah, I picture lots of things in Boston, but I picture running alongside Bekele a lot and like mostly like kind of talking trash, but you're not really allowed to because, you know, you, you can't say like, Technically, as a rule, you can't use profanity. I mean, I wouldn't cuss at people, but like, you know, you, you should, I think you should be able to say certain things. But like, I, I'm like giving gestures, like, I'm just like kind of like, kind of like irritating people a little bit later in the stage of the race. Cause it's like having that like confidence, like you're, you're just running well. And so you're like, I don't know, but basically, I'm just like with the group and kind of like, just and I do sometimes I'll say some things that people just like because like when you start talking in the middle of a race like people like are like what the heck like they they know I don't think people really like it um so like I have those things where I'm just I'm I'm making some moves but I'm more just being a aggr- like aggressive in a way that like I'm trying to kind of get in people's heads um which like I have to be fit enough to do and I, I gotta be there <laughs> late in the race to actually be able to do but like you know, but if I'm there, like, you got to run with that mentality that, like, you can do that. And so, like, that just seems fun to me, like, kind of like being like a boxer or like a UFC fighter. And it's like, like, this is a head game. Like, I'm going to like, you know, kind of get like, I'm not, people are weird about the marathon and they're like, oh, you know, there's such camaraderie. We help each other. Pace each other. I'm not like that. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want people to run fast. I want, I want to place as high as I can. So like, I want to like, I want to get to the point where I can be fit enough and in shape enough that I can disrupt the race and make people not have fast times and not have good races because it's just, it's just so the packs get broken up. People are running by themselves. Like, I want to isolate everyone because I run by myself. So, you know, if, if everyone gets kind of isolated and running by themselves, like, that's a huge advantage for me because I don't need a pack to run with. Like, I do 100% of my hard training alone. So, um, so yeah, I want to get people alone. I want to sucker people into going harder on the downhills and just like, I think about just like in my head, like, I'm just like, I just want to snap people's femurs. Like I want them to just look like they just snap mid race because, you know, I got them to go 420 at mile 15 on that downhill section. And like, they didn't, they didn't really prepare to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Things like that. I mean, realistically, it's like they're probably pretty prepared and <laughs> maybe in better shape than me and, and probably hurt myself more than them. But, but you have to have that mentality of like, I'm coming to mess people up and like, you know, so that's what I think about in a race, just really having that raw competitiveness and like, obviously outside the race and outside and just in daily life. Like, yeah, I want everyone, I want everyone to love running. Like I love running. I want all my competitors to have that. And, and I know that they do. And it's just like, you know, you want everyone to just enjoy the sport and do good. And you want people to have good races so that you can compete with the best. But when you're actually in the race, it's like, like it's, it's a fight. Like it's, you know, <laughs> and it should be that sort of competitiveness um, and, and kind of like, you know, you're not friends. So <laughs> so in Boston, if there's a moment where it's literally you and Bekele and the camera is on, can you give oh. us like a little bit of a like, you pointing to like, come on, buddy, keep up. <laughs> oh, I would. Yes. I've, I've done that many times in my, in my long run. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm like, it, also it, mentally, like when you're pacing someone, you know, and you're like, come on, man, you can do it for whatever reason, you just feel great. And like, I try not to do that when I'm actually pacing people because 
it made, like wh whenever people would do that to me and they're like come on you know you can do it made me feel terrible like they're freaking talking to me while i'm dying you know like they're trying to edge me on it's just like shut up like i'll follow you if i can so like yeah i would i would no matter how i mean i i i'd probably be if i was in that situation i'd probably be just like redlining like but I would still try to find a way to talk. Cause like mentally it gives you that as like, yeah, I'm just here to help the Kayla out, you know, like, come on, <laughs> stick with me, buddy. You can do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, it's unlikely scenario, but uh, I'll like look out gotta, for if, if it happens, I'm looking out for it on the broadcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Final questions that I ask every guest. First one is what's the funniest drug testing story that you've got? So I've only been drug tested once, which is kind of crazy to me. But um, so like after the first one, they were like late with my result. So I was like convinced, like the only reason they're late is because like something happened. So like they're they're testing my B sample. Like I like I was I'm, the first one must have been positive. So I sent this super long email to the I don't know, the USATF people or whoever just being like, look, like I, I, I literally hadn't been sleeping. Like I just get I'm like a I'm somewhat laid back in some senses and I think in interviews people think I'm laid back but I'm also like very like not like that so I just like get I don't know and then you read stories of like you know I who knows how accurate they are but like tainted beef and tainted supplements and stuff so you're just like or false positive I don't know so I just go through all these things and um my wife could attest and I don't know. I'm just weird sometimes. Yeah. So you keep it minimalist, like just like I'm just gonna run and train and like well, not as no, many no, no. That's the thing. I love so like I, that's like one of my probably my biggest hobby in life is researching, finding supplements, finding nutrition, everything that goes into like the body, recovering, human performance, all of that stuff. Like that is if there's one thing I'm most interested in, that's it. Like since high school, I mean, I have this whole, you should see my notes from high school on my computer, everything, like starting from then. And it's just, I mean, I've read thousands and thousands of research studies. Like I love this stuff. So it's really weird because I love all that, but then I'm also super paranoid. So it's like, I, I mean, everything I have is like, they're, you know, it's I, like the informed sport or NSF, it's all the certified stuff. Um, so I still take, you know, supplements cause they do, I mean, just scientifically, like they do work, like that there are products that help you if you take them in the right dosages at the right times. Um, but obviously you got to find the products that are tested the best so that you're, you're safe. Cause there's a lot of things that are just, yeah, there's a lot of un, um, credible companies, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right, more lighthearted question. Here we go. Uh, okay. If you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you, where would the run take place? Who would it be with? They don't have to be a runner. They could be a famous person, imaginary person, whoever. Um, I was thinking Kevin Hart, but I feel like that could actually happen. So I don't want, because he just does everything with everybody. And I feel like if I run fast enough, we'll run into each other somewhere, but hey, let's go for a run like that. So I feel like that could actually happen. So I won't use that answer. So maybe C.S. Lewis, because I feel like the way our brains work and just like theologically and 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 both doubt, like just like his life um, and just how he thinks. I feel like in a lot, if we had a long run, because the best conversations happen in long runs, we just get super deep and philosophical. So uh, going on a long run, it wouldn't really even matter where. I mean, I don't. I don't care. I mean, heck, I, we could run around a track in a circle the whole time. I don't care. Just as long as we're running hard for a long time and just getting in some deep philosophical, theological, just whatever, just crazy thinking type conversation would be fun. <laughs> Final question has nothing to do with running. You get 25 shots from half court on a full-size basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? Well, there's only one correct answer, and it's no, I would not attempt the shots because <clears throat> why do I, I don't, why would I risk 25 years of jail? Like, I get it's a fun question, but no one would actually risk 25 years of jail. <laughs> so you don't really need $25 million. And 
most of the people you interview have decent contracts. So it's like, I mean, if you're like dirt poor, maybe, you know, but, and yeah. most of the people, they never ask follow-up questions. Is this from, is this a, am I using the, even the women, like, are, do the women get to use a women's ball? Am I using a, a men's ball? It's what, true. No one's from, asked that question are we, before. Are we going from NBA, NBA half court, high school half court, elementary, you know, I mean, there's all these, this, do I get to warm up before? There's a lot of factors. No one asks. I actually played basketball up in my dad was a basketball coach for 20 years. So I probably have a better shot than most, but I, I would not take them. But if it was a competition between all your other guests, I think I'd do maybe not the best, but I'd be up there. I like that. I like the confidence, CJ. <laughs> um, I appreciate you taking the time for this. This is great. Uh, can't wait to see you in Boston. I'll be up there doing a live show from the Brooks Hyperion house. We're going to do like an alternate broadcast while your race is going on. And so uh, we'll, we'll have a feed dedicated to basically just, you know, updating people on how, how you're doing. So give us a good show. Give us the Bekele wave and uh, go crush it out there. All right. Yeah, thanks. The City of Smack podcast is a production of the City of Smack podcast network. It is produced and edited by Mike Zerzolo. Did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks? Support City of Smack by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash City to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong. If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at Sidious Mag. We've also got merch over on SidiousMag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.